The following message was recorded as part of the morning worship celebration of Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church in Eatonton, Georgia. More information about the ministries, staff, and worship offerings of Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church can be found on our website at www.lopc-pca.org. If you would, open your Bibles to the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 6, for our scripture this morning. Gospel of John, uh, chapter 6. In the spring of 2008, so about four and a half years ago, uh, I went turkey hunting for the first time in my life. And I went, uh, I went just once that particular spring. But as anyone who has turkey hunted before will tell you, once you do it once, it's hard not to go again. Uh, and it was one of those things that, that, that once you do it, you want more of it. Okay? You want more of it. Now, you may not hunt. But you have some hobby, you have some uh, real interest in your life, and you know that feeling that you have that once you get a taste for something, how you want more of it, okay? That's the way it was with with turkey hunting for me. Like Once I I got a taste of it, I couldn't help but uh, want more of it. I tell you that uh, brief story just because I think it does a good job of introducing our passage, okay? At this point... In Jesus' ministry, word has gotten out about, uh, about the Lord, and l- uh, large crowds are now seeking after uh, Jesus. In fact, at the beginning of this, if you uh, just look back to the beginning of this chapter, chapter 6, if you have headings in your Bible, you'll especially see uh, rather quickly how Jesus has just fed, uh, miraculously fed well over 5,000 people with nothing but a few loaves of bread and and a couple of fish. And as you might think, this attracts even greater interest in Jesus. Much like like turkey hunting for me, this miracle that Jesus has performed is leaving the people hungering for more, both figuratively and literally, hungering for more. And while Jesus, he's withdrawn from the crowds, he, uh, he's spending some alone time with his disciples uh, at this point in our, in our text. So great is the people's interest, uh, so great is the people's hunger for more of this Jesus character that they're driven to seek him uh, nonetheless. He's got that something. He's got that it factor, we might say, that, that is drawing the people uh, to him. And so it's at this point in the story... Uh, that we find Jesus and the people uh, craving for more of Jesus. So, if you would, I know it's your practice to stand. If you would, stand for the reading of God's Word in John chapter 6, beginning in verse 25. And this is God's Word, and it is our rule for faith and for life. John six twenty-five. When they found Him on the other side of the sea, that is Jesus, they said to Him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on Him God the Father has set His seal. 
Then they said to him, what, what, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. But my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Whoever has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Let's pray and ask his blessing on our time in the word. Our Lord, uh, we do come to you expectantly uh, as your word is open for us. Lord, we're aware of what the psalmist teaches us that those who delight in and meditate upon the Word of God, that they know they are not like the chaff that the wind drives away, but instead they are like trees planted by streams of water. Lord, would that be our image this morning, uh, that you would make us as trees planted by streams of water as we delight in and meditate upon your Word. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. So, having been fed miraculously by Jesus, the people want more of Jesus. And so, they find him. They seek him out and they find him. And in finding him, as we just read, you know that, that there's a discussion. The discussion begins among Jesus and these folks who are following. And, and from this discussion that goes on, I want to ask 
two questions, and you, you have a, a, uh, an outline in your bulletin to help follow along this morning, though the outline's simple enough just to know from your head. But I want to ask two questions, questions um, that are going to lead us to a conclusion. And that conclusion is simply this, that Jesus satisfies something deep within us. Okay, Jesus satisfies something deep within us. Our, he satisfies our deepest hunger. Okay, everything that we're going toward this morning, everything I say is moving toward that, that Jesus satisfies our deepest hunger. Now, keep it in, in, keep it in mind with a passage is this long, I can't possibly say everything about this text. Okay, you'll be relieved to know that, that I'm not going to try to preach on every single verse, uh, 20-something verses that we, would, we just read. But I want to pare it down to these two ideas that, re, that are related to these two questions. And the first question is this. Why do the people seek Jesus? Okay, why do the people seek Jesus? Now, Jesus answers that question very clearly for us. If you look again at verses 26 and 27, he says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. Now, in a miraculous way, again, Jesus recently has fed the people with bread and fish. Those foods, of course, being the very staple of their diet. And it doesn't sound like much to us, uh, but if Jesus were maybe present there and, and, and we think in ch you know, church potluck terms, he would have served them these you know, a number of different chicken casseroles and some, and some dinner rolls of some sort. That, that, uh, so while bread and fish doesn't make much of an impression upon us, it, it certainly made an impression uh, upon these people. Uh, that was what they needed. They needed bread and fish. And while you would think that it would be the miracle that Jesus just took these few things and, and multiplied them and fed so many people, you would think that it would be the miracle that provoked the people to follow after him. It wasn't the miracle that provoked the people to follow after him. The people seek Jesus because he fed them bread. Normal bread. They were hungry, and he gave them bread. Now, this strikes me as odd. Again, you'd expect that it would be the miracle that would have drawn the people, but it wasn't the miracle. According to Jesus, it was the free lunch that moved the people to follow after Jesus. Now, that's odd until you real, realize something about these people, okay, about who these people are. Uh, they are. They are materialists. Okay, They are materialists. Now, you might hear that word materialists, and you think, okay, uh, that means those people that love worldly possessions, okay? We might say someone's a materialist in our day if they like expensive things, expensive jewelry or expensive cars, homes and clothes and that sort of thing. But when I say materialists, I'm referring to it in a different kind of way, a little bit more of a classical uh, way of using that term. That is this way, that they are a people who believe that physical matter is the ultimate reality. They are people that believe the things that they can reach out and touch are the things that are most important. The spiritual or the supernatural, it, it has no place on their radar. 
Materials believe the things that they can see, the things that they can touch, the things that they can taste, the things that they can smell. And so they seek Jesus because of what they saw, because of what they touched, because of what they ate, the bread. The miracle, though, that was supernatural. There was, there was something, uh, you know, that was, again, that was off their radar. There was an element of faith to that, and that just wasn't something that they could appreciate in the least bit. And so, again, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, not because of the miracles. You are seeking me because you ate your fill of the loaves. In other words, he's saying, you're seeking me because you're materialists at heart. Because I can fill your bellies with a holy chicken and, and dinner rolls. So it was the thought of more free lunches that attracted them to Jesus. You know, think of it like, you know, the neighbor's cat. You wonder why the neighbor, neighbor's cat keeps coming to your doorstep all the time. You're, you're tired of the neighbor's cat. Why does the cat keep coming to your doorstep? It's not because of the, the, the attention you might give it. Uh, talking to it or something like that. It's not for your company. It's because you keep putting a, a dish of milk off for it. Okay, that's why it's coming back. For the free meal. If you, you know, if you, if you wonder about Jesus' conclusion in the least bit, that there, he says that they seek him because he fed them, look at the people's questions. Because the people's questions really only clarify what Jesus is saying. Uh, verses 28 through 30 again. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. And so they said to him, Well, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? You know, I read that and again, remember the context. You know, we read that and we want to say, what was it about feeding 5,000 people with, you know, something that you could basically, you know, hold in your arms, some bread and some fish? What was it uh, uh, that that wasn't enough of a work for Jesus to perform? So between what Jesus says and what they themselves, they themselves say, it's obvious that the people seek Jesus because he's going to give them material. He's going to give them stuff. Perhaps it's more bread. Certainly, it's at least that. Maybe it has something to do with the fact that they, they think of Jesus as one who's going to come and deliver them from their, um, their political oppression. Right? We're all familiar with that, how the expectations of Jesus, uh, the people in the day expected Jesus to, to uh, relieve them of their, their burden, the, the Roman occupation. If you look back in chapter 6 at verse 15, you'll see that that is certainly on their minds. Whatever it is, as they seek Jesus, all they see is bread. And in the end, their materialism, you see, it is obscuring this deeper unseen reality that Jesus tries to communicate to himself, that he satisfies a hunger that is deep within them. Okay, that's going to lead us to our second question in a few minutes. Before we get to there, 
I want us to understand something. I want us to appreciate something about this text. It's very easy for us in 2012 to stand here and look back at these people and, and sort of shake our head and feel sorry for the poor people back then that had Jesus right in front of them, and yet they couldn't appreciate what he could give beyond just the material. Because I think, I think it would be a shame for us to do that because we are a whole lot like these people more than we realize, I think, sitting in, in these chairs. You see, the reason that we often seek Jesus, I think, is much the same reason that they sought Jesus. We, too, can be materialists at heart, caring more about the things that we can reach out and touch, the things that sparkle, the things that shine. Okay? We can be more concerned about those things than the spiritual realm. And one, uh, one way this looks for us today is that we mix the American dream with Christianity so easily. We tend to believe that Jesus has come to give us lives of affluence, lives of comfort, free of trouble, to fill our bellies, to give us good health, to find us a job with a nice salary, to prosper our investments, to clothe us in the latest styles, to provide us the right friends in school, uh, to put us behind the steering wheel of the right car or the right truck, to give us the perfect marriage while we live in the perfect house on a perfect piece of land, raising our perfect family. So we tend to believe I think when push comes to shove, we tend to believe that Jesus has come to give us lives of safety, of predictability, of comfort, and we'll follow him as long as he helps us realize those dreams. But if he starts messing with those dreams, we doubt. We wonder, how, you know, how could God do this? This is why when our comfort is threatened, why... You know, when our, our 401Ks, you know, as the saying goes, have become 201Ks in the last five or six years. And we wonder, you know, we wonder, why, God? What have I done to deserve this? You know, if we're not, if we're not just as consumed with the things that we can reach out and touch, why is it that so often we expect our lives to be trouble-free when really the Scripture promises, it really promises us the exact opposite, that to share in the blessings of Christ also means that at times we are going to share in His sufferings as well. That's what the Scripture promises us. Trials that are, uh, uh, sufferings that are, are meant to do what? To build up our faith. To strengthen our, our hope, our faith, our love. You know, take away the comfort that most of us enjoy. Take away that house or that personal safety or our money. And often it's there that we learn really about our faith. And what kind of faith we have. And I think at times we're going to see that our souls aren't as satisfied with Jesus as we often think. And so again, we realize that we're, we're just not much different from these people after all, are we? You know, for me personally, I came to realize this some years ago. 
within about um, a th- about a three or four week period, um, a, a death of a friend, and then uh, I was I was the RUF campus minister serving the, the campus at Virginia Tech when those sh- infamous shootings happened. And, and between those two things, uh, you know, I began to to really question the expectations I had of Jesus and what He came to give me. And I can assure you, He didn't come to insulate me. He didn't come to insulate you from the brokenness of this world. He came uh, to, to, for us to find satisfaction uh, for our deepest hunger in Him. Looking, looking beyond this world through the eyes of faith, And that leads us to our second question. Again, the first, why do the people seek Jesus? They seek him for material gain, for the chicken casseroles, for the white picket fence, for for the right truck. The second question is this, why should the people seek Jesus? Why should the people seek Jesus? Answering this question is the key to knowing the point of this whole episode. Of course, the answer relates to Jesus saying these famous words, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. We should seek Jesus because he is the bread of life. Verses 35 and 51 is where he mentions that. Okay, but what does that mean? Okay, that's simple enough. Jesus is the bread of life. Uh, What exactly does that mean? He means that he provides something of greater satisfaction than mere bread. Something greater than mere material gain. He means that he offers the kind of sustenance that satisfies deep within our souls. Verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Reminds me of a, uh, of a passage in uh, Isaiah, chapter 55. In fact, they're, they're so similar. Some of the things that Jesus is saying, I can't help but wonder if, if, if Isaiah 55 was on Jesus' mind. But he says there in the first three verses, Isaiah 55, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, the prophet says, and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. Hear that your soul may live. Though they use different words, Jesus and Isaiah are saying the very same thing. Why do you pursue with such energy the things that don't satisfy you ultimately? Jesus satisfies you ultimately. Come to me, he says. And, and believe. It reminds me uh, also not only of Isaiah. This whole episode reminds me of a hymn. It's actually going to be the uh, the the um, 
the responsive offering, the, the, the uh, solo that's going to follow this that David's going to sing for us. Actually, it's in your hymnal. I looked it up. If you want to uh, read the words, even as I read them, um, 518 in your hymnal. Okay, a, a, a hymn called Satisfied. <clears throat> but it, all of this reminds me of these words, especially the first couple stanzas of, of that hymn. It says, all my life long I, I had panted for a drink from com- some cool spring that I hoped would quench the burning of the thirst I felt within. Hallelujah, I have found Him, this, the one my soul so long has craved. Jesus satisfies all my longings through His life I now am saved. And then the second stanza, feeding on the husks around me till my strength was almost gone, longed my soul for something better, only still to hunger on. Of course, this is only saying what Jesus says uh, in our passage. If Look again at verses 48 and following. Uh, verse 48, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from, he- from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. It's for this truth that Jesus wants his people to seek him. And not that he can give them a free lunch, not that he can fulfill you know, all of their dreams of, of the right home and the, in the right, on the right piece of land with the right view. To put all of this that I've been saying another way, the, the philosopher Blaise Pascal once famously said, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by, only by God, the Creator, made known through Jesus. Despite what we think, despite the way that we often live and the things that we put so much effort and strive for in our lives, you know, that the God-shaped vacuum that each of us feels within us, it cannot be filled with the right friends or 300 acres of land or a Ford F-250. In this passage, Jesus teaches us, he, he, he teaches the people, He teaches us that our souls are needy of something more. He wants us to seek Him, believing that as the bread of life, only He can fill our soul's void. Only He can fill that longing that each of us feels within us. And yet we continue to fill with this and that. And yet we still hunger on, to use the words from the hymn, still to hunger on. Today, do you know that void that I'm talking about? Do you, Do you recognize, do you feel that God-shaped vacuum within you? Do you feel your soul crying out? I bet some of you do. Whether you're a believer who who just, who, who loves the stuff of this world like so many of us do. Or maybe you're an unbeliever and you feel that that God-shaped vacuum within you. Jesus says, do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. Truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus says, whoever believes has eternal life. 
I am the bread of life. Do you feel your soul hungering for that bread? Are the husks that you've been feeding on, are they no longer doing it for you? Jesus says, believe in me and have life. Follow me and live. Jesus says, C.S. Lewis, in his book, um, The Screwtape Letters, it's a, um, a work of uh, fiction. And uh, Lewis is imagining in this book an elder demon who goes by the name Screwtape. And Screwtape is writing to his younger demon a nephew named Wormwood. And as the older, more seasoned uh, a demon, he's giving words of advice to his younger uh, demon nephew, as this as Wormwood is is uh, trying to torment a, a, a patient, a Christian, okay. And so Screwtape is uh, describing to him in giving this advice. He, he illustrates with a story from his own experience uh, in in tormenting a, a particular patient of his. And Screwtape says this. He says, "I once had a patient, a sound atheist, who used to read in the British Museum." And one day as he sat reading, I saw a train of thought in his mind beginning to go the wrong way, which would be the right way from our perspective. But uh, I struck instantly at the part of the man which I best uh, had under my control and suggested that it was just about time he had some lunch. The enemy, which is God, uh, presumably made the counter suggestion that this was more important than lunch. At least I think that must have been his line, for when I said, quite, in fact, much too important to tackle the, at the end of a morning, the patient brightened up considerably, and by the time I added, much better come back after lunch and go into it with a fresh mind, he was already halfway to the door. Once he was in the street, the battle was won. I showed him a newsday, uh, newsboy shouting the midday paper and a number 73 bus going past. And before he reached the bottom of the steps, I had gotten into him an unalterable conviction that whatever odd things might come into a man's head when he's shut up alone with his books, a healthy dose of real life was enough to show him that all that sort of thing just couldn't be true. So at a time when this atheist was beginning to contemplate these spiritual matters of great importance that were going in the right direction from, from our perspective, Screw tape distracts him with, with life, with the material, something that this patient could reach out and touch. And, and be clear to understand that none of these things were bad in and of themselves. Of, of course not. Lunch, uh, you know, a bus, uh, a, a paper. None of these things are bad necessarily, but they can certainly distract us from what is truly important. And this is exactly what John describes in our text. The bread became so important to the people that they couldn't see anything beyond it. It was a distraction to them. Even though Jesus was right in front of them, even though the one for whom their soul craved was right there to believe in, they couldn't see it. The bread was a distraction. 
today, may the same not be said of you. May God give you ears to hear this morning, whether you're a Christian who who struggles to disown the stuff of life, who struggles to set your mind on the things above and not on earthly things, as Paul commands us. Or whether you're a non-Christian, perhaps, who, who struggles to find meaning and satisfaction in life, and so you look to all sorts of other things that are simply leaving you hungering, hungering for more. Either way, may you not fall into the error of being distracted by the material. Don't let what Screwtape calls real life distract you. Jesus is the bread of life who has come to feed the depths of your soul. Come and believe Him this morning. Come and follow Him and live. Let's pray and ask His blessing toward that end. Our God in heaven, indeed, uh, we do pray uh, for your Spirit's work in our hearts. Lord, there are so many fun things in this world, uh, things that in and of themselves are not bad. There are so many things that taste good, that uh, that look good, that are fun to drive or or fun a place to visit. But there are so many things, even good things, that can distract us from you when they become too dear to our hearts. Or when when we try to let them fill a longing within us that only you can fill. Spirit of God, would you work in the hearts of, of we who hear your word this morning? Would you empower us? Would you empower us to 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 find in Jesus? the satisfaction for our soul's deepest longing. We pray that in Him and Him alone would we rest and believe. We pray this in His name. Amen.